one of the things that Jacobs is doing is using edge computing and AI. So instead of having that workforce go out daily and touch equipment and walk the field, walk a mechanical room or walk any particular asset, now you've got the sensors out there that are doing literally the legwork and um, you're just sitting in a control room monitoring it and you've got um, technologists that understand those algorithms, understand the performance and understand the implementation of AI so that information is coming quicker. Welcome to Inflection Points, a podcast series from Jacobs. I'm your host, Stephen Ludwig. That was the voice of Nina Woolman, Vice President, Global Director of Strategic Consulting. We sat down with her and Vice President, Global Operations Management and Facilities Services, Steve Meininger, about asset management. It was a fascinating discussion of how businesses and municipalities use asset management as a strategic part of their operations to control costs, increase efficiencies, and mitigate risk. Inflection Points is where we meet the people at Jacobs that help create solutions that deliver a more connected, sustainable world. Just a quick note, we recorded today's episode at a conference, so you may hear some background noise. With that out of the way, it's on with the podcast. What's your background, Nina? How far back do you want to go background? Uh, When I was a child? Sure. No. (laughs) Like professional. How'd you get into, are you an engineer by training? No, actually I'm an environmental scientist. Okay. How'd you become an environmental scientist? School. But there's a passion. Is there a (laughs) a passion there? It came from a love of science. It started with loving data and turning into information for decision making and showing patterns or finding patterns. Um... That just, I just love that um, kind of deep dive analytics. But um, if Steve's in the same position I am, we don't have much time for that anymore these days. <laughs> so no, now it's just about the people. I love the people. I love the business. I love thinking through um, the big picture and coming up with new ways to do kind of the same things. Great. Steve, Doing how, different. Yeah. How about you? Um, How'd you get into your line of, you're an engineer, you're trained as an engineer, right? Yep. Civil engineer and environmental engineer. Um, I like to be able to like see the output or outcome of what I was doing. So that moved me into, um, that's why I started in civil engineering and then being able to ultimately get into water treatment, uh, and wastewater treatment was where I, I started my career. That's a strange thing to be excited about. Wastewater treatment. Don't you think? Well, when you actually see what it starts as and see what it comes out the other end as it's pretty incredible in in fact in a lot of cases the water coming out at the end of a wastewater treatment plant is cleaner than the water going uh you know into a water treatment plant drinking water treatment plant so it's it's pretty incredible what's what's accomplished through those processes nice now we're talking a little bit about asset management today nina can you explain what asset management is Whenever someone asks this, I try to make it as familiar to someone as possible. So I start with a very basic concept. If you were to Google asset management, you find that uh, nothing but financial firms come up. And, but it's the same concept with the built environment. Uh, when a, a financial investor is trying to take whatever investment portfolio you have and give you a return on investment for as small as possible investment, we want to do the same thing with the built environment. What's a, what, so for people that don't know what a built environment is, what are you referring to? 
buildings, roads, bridges, uh, utility infrastructure, a little bit of everything. Um, it can be fences, it can be signage as well. Um, but we're helping our clients understand what they own, how to take care of it, so they get a return on investment or reduce their total cost of ownership. So basically, you help me if I own something, you help me get a longer run cycle. So I have a long that thing for longer. Yeah, extend useful life. Okay, great. What uh, does that mean? The same thing to you, Steve? Are you on the same page, or do you want to tell Nina that she doesn't know what she's yeah, talking about? Yeah, no, I'm completely aligned with with Nina. One of the things that we find some people struggle with is they think about asset management as a thing or a program that they can just implement and track maintenance activities where I view asset management more as a, a process, a process to be able to make the best decisions about how to extend the life of, of assets. Okay, so walk me through that. So if, let's say I own a, a, a building and you, I've engaged you, what are you gonna help me look at from that process point of view? Yeah, so instead of just um, working on scheduling maintenance activities for the building, we would do a condition assessment to assess what's the current condition of the assets. And then we would look at the kind of the consequence of failure of the different assets. And we can use the combination of those two to rank the importance of the asset. And then that factors into decisions around, do you repair, do you replace? Uh, how do you extend the life? And there might be certain assets that you run to failure. It may not make sense to invest not, a lot in not, not the elevators. We hope we not hope, the elevators. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We but hope then, not those. Yeah. But then there's assets that you're gonna want to maintain more frequently than others because they're so critically important, like elevators, as an example. Okay. So, mm -hmm. um, what are some trends you, either one of you are seeing right now with your clients around asset management? Oh, well, I, we were talking yesterday about this, and I tell you that I see four major trends. Um, many of our clients are starting to wanting to start with a strategy. You know, there's a, a great um, set of articles that comes from a, another speaker, starting with why. Why do our clients even own the assets that they own? And if around the example you just gave with a building, if they're not in the, uh, if the building is not gonna support their primary mission, should they even own the building? So starting with why, why this asset? Why not um, taking another approach to ownership, to funding? Um, so you're starting with a big a strategy as to why asset management, defining what it is, defining what success looks like. Um, I would tell you there's technology you know, every, every aspect of our life, whether it be our smartphone, our vehicle, or other forms of transportation or communication, we're looking at new technologies. And it's no different in asset management. Um, whether it is smart metering, whether it is technology to help with the work orders and the maintenance management, with the staffing, or with the data analytics of how assets are performing. Um, you know, I, I'm a firm believer that technology is an equal and opportunity enabler of good and bad decisions. So it's not about just technology, it's why technology. Going back to that, starting with why. Um, I would tell you another one has to do with change management. As organizations are trying to adopt technology or adopt asset management as a principle, you're change, you have dynamics changing in workforce, you have dynamics changing in business processes, you might have dynamics that change in policies and procedures. So whenever you have these kinds of changes, 
people innately are not um, in tune with wanting change. So thinking about what that change is and how to adopt it, having change management be a, a part of any asset management organization is becoming a pretty big aspect. And I would say last but not least is the workforce development. Workforce uh, demographics are changing. Um, who's coming into the workforce, what they want in the workforce, uh, the talent that's needed to deliver the work that comes with asset management and the maintenance and operations of assets. Um, who's going to do that and how they're going to be trained up, especially with the introduction of technology and new processes. So Steve, or either one, please walk me through those four things and how it applies. In, so we're talking in the abstract. So we have why, we have technology, we have change management, we have workforce development. So if I own a building, those seems kind of abstract to me of why I would think about those things or any or a road or an airport or a wastewater, whatever the thing is. So how would those things apply? Just take one, let's take technology. You mentioned, Nina, that technology could be a bad decision as well as a good one. Where would, where would that be? Well, I would say that technology is neither a good or a bad decision. It's how you adopt it and how do you choose to use it. Um, sometimes clients think technology is going to end all, be all, fix everything. Um, and they have a tendency to say, well, if I could just have this. you know, What, what would this be? It can be it. It can be a work order management system. It can be metering. It can just be more data. And sometimes I refer to data as like the Sunday morning buffet. You walk in, you see a lot of great stuff on the buffet that you've never tried before and you want to try it. So you're like, let's try it. You load up your plate, you sit down and you eat just a mere fraction of it. Um, and then the same thing can be with data. It's just because you've never had it before it doesn't mean you need it today. You really have to think about what I said in the beginning. What does success look like? Mm -hmm. What is the decision you're trying to make? What is the data you need to support that decision or the information that you need? And then how, what technology do you implement to get that? And, um, you know, there are a lot of philosophies on adult learning that starts with you don't know what you don't know until you realize what you don't know and how do you learn it. And then what you the learned behavior becomes an unconscious behavior. It's similar with asset management and the implementation of data. If a client has never had that data before, they don't know that they need it. But once they realize they need it, they might just go get it. But if they're not mature enough as an organization to learn how to make decisions with that data, or more importantly, how to maintain that data, then they're going to be in a stance where they're getting more than they know what to do with, and they're actually wasting their money and getting more data. And the same thing can go with technology. You might just be building up technologies, but are you really thinking far enough advance of what does success look like to know that you're getting the right technology at the right time for what you're trying to accomplish? So back to this, this that's very, very interesting. Steve, this, this idea that Nina talked about, these four major trends. How are you helping your clients with the specific things? Because what you're describing is a very sophisticated strategic approach to managing things that I would assume a lot of people aren't up on yet. Yeah, They're, Nina's nodding yes, which doesn't really work in a podcast, but <laughs> I point that at that yes. yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so one of the trends we're seeing, uh, you know, our clients are always wanting us to do more with less, and, and we're in a very competitive marketplace. So uh, as we look for ways to be more efficient in managing our assets, uh, one trend that we've seen is moving more towards uh, condition-based asset management. So using all this information that Nina talked about and sensors and other technology to understand what's going on with the individual asset, whether it's a pump or a blower or um, some other piece of equipment, so that instead of just going with a more schedule-based maintenance approach, 
where you would send send people out to do something every day, week, month. You only go when you need to go. And uh, it allows us to also help address the workforce development issue where we're seeing across our industry, there's less and less people going into some of these uh, craft-based um, jobs that are supporting. So like craft meaning like maintenance and, and like welding and all that sort of thing. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Um, you know, people are gravitating more towards technology and other things, which is really nice in, in our industry because more technology is being brought in. Some of the, the new people moving into the job market are used to technology. So it's kind of blending that um, kind of that craft skill sets with the ability to use technology to be more efficient in how we do things, which is really the only way we're going to survive as we move forward where people are moving into other career paths. And so, yeah, and these are really great careers in this, uh, in these related fields. And so we, we want to encourage people to really consider them for, you know, for their kids and family members and people they know to, to really look at these as, as career opportunities. I don't think most people actually think about uh, what you're talking about. I think when we go into, uh, we're in a hotel recording today, but if I go into a building or a government building or anything, I don't think most of us think about, wow, how do you maintain, outside of our own homes, right? How do you maintain this? And so what you're sharing now is this shift from, I need to have a spreadsheet saying you fix the boiler every six months. You, you know, it's like an oil change, right? You need to bring it in at 10,000, 5,000, whatever the miles is. So how are, how is the uh, market in the government and the, and the for-profit world changing their mindset that you're seeing? Are they catching up with this, this shift? Cause it sounds like it's a new way of thinking about things. Yeah. I mean, I think in a lot of cases it's, being driven by the industry. So they're the beneficiary of this, this trend and these advancements. So as an example, um, there's new technology around being able to measure the vibration on a uh, blower. And okay. so we- What does a blower do? So a blower would add air, as an example, to a wastewater treatment plant okay. to help um, treat the water. And it's a very large piece of equipment. And what we're able to do now is uh, measure the vibration, send it to the cloud where there's uh, an analytical process to, to analyze that reading. And they can uh, assess, depending on the frequency of the vibrations, uh, what is going on or might be a problem with that blower. And it's, it's amazing what that you can learn through that process versus what you can not hear through just listening to it. And so kind of moving up the curve of addressing problems with equipment before it becomes a problem. So you're addressing it so early on that you're not allowing a piece of equipment to go a long period of time and then turn into a, a bigger, more catastrophic failure situation. As you're describing that, I couldn't help but think we're in the world of science fiction, right? I mean, who, who maybe 10 or 15 years ago, 20, you know, who would have thought you would have a monitor on your blower that would send a thing into this vaporware and then it would kick back a report saying you need to go fix it. 
Or who thought that you would be applying uh, artificial intelligence to help with these kinds of decisions and monitoring performance? Because as we're having these changing dem uh, demographics and um, dynamics with the workforce, you need to find a new way to implement technology. And so one of the things that Jacobs is doing is using edge computing and AI. So instead of having that workforce go out daily and touch equipment and walk the field, walk a mechanical room or walk any particular asset, now you've got the sensors out there that are doing literally the legwork, and um, you're just sitting in a control room monitoring it, and you've got um, technologists that understand those algorithms, understand the performance, and understand the implementation of AI, so that information is coming quicker. How does AI work in this area? Is it like machine learning where we seem how it you know, we recognize the patterns and then it kicks out something for us? Exactly. As as it relates to, as Steve was talking about, condition-based maintenance. The way maintenance used to be is you had technicians that would walk through a building, any particular asset, and they would know the hum of that motor has changed or I can feel the vibration has changed or I can feel there's a temperature change on an asset and something needs to be done. We need to investigate. To, um, uh, you know, in, that, in those instances, you might have had days to hours to fix a component once you start realizing that. As someone who becomes more mature in a technician standpoint, they might be able to read those kinds of um, changes days, weeks, now even months out. Right? And so you get to, a, so then at one point, industry was wanting to do predictive maintenance and saying it's exactly the manufacturer's specification says you change the oil every 10,000 miles, you change a fan belt, you change, you do something to a component on a routine basis. But think about it something that's not touched doesn't have the intervention of human error. Once you start touching it, you create human error. Not that anyone is being malicious in the intent, it just happens. And sometimes actually those manufacturer specifications cause us to um, over-maintain an asset. Maybe add too much uh, lubrication to a component that really didn't need it, which again introduces more faults. So when you start doing more monitored and introduce AI, AI is coming in and saying this is the variable of difference. So that vibration would be way outside that variable. And so now with predictive maintenance, you might have gone to weeks to months, but with this condition-based, performance-based monitoring, AI is, we build the algorithms and AI slowly narrows that margin of change so that you are maybe just going doing a tweak in performance, you're changing a temperature, you're slowing down a cycle, you're changing minor, um, you're making minor changes from a dashboard, from a keyboard, if you will. And now you've extended, back to the beginning of our conversation, the useful life of an asset. You are maintaining it less, it's less cost. Yes, you have to do the upfront monitoring, but you don't have the people walking the field. So you have less labor that you need, and like Steve says, our clients are actually looking for us to do different with less, not just more with less. And so this is a way to do different with AI and changing those parameters. So some people are going to see, wow, that's a pretty big upfront chunk of change. But how much money are you seeing people saving from this approach? Like, are they? It sounds like what you're describing. There's significant savings if we invest upfront in these more sophisticated ways of managing what we own. Yeah, just from a O&M standpoint. Operations we, and management. Uh, yeah, yeah, operations mm -hmm. and maintenance. We would typically save our clients 10 to 20% over how they were operating prior to us That's a coming. big, so, for some organizations, that's probably a massive amount of money. 
you know, you know, public agencies, private agencies, everybody wants to save save money. So ten to twenty percent of a large budget is a lot of money. Um, and then that's just the that's just the entry to get in the door. And then the expectation is to drive additional savings from there. Where are you seeing uh, adoption of this asset management approach? What industries are are really uh, taking that up? And is that limited to North America or are you seeing it globally? Well, I'll say right now in Europe and Australia, this is that there's actually government rela- uh, regulations related to asset management. So you see it readily adopted from the high level strategy to the technology to perform operations and maintenance strategies quite regularly over there. You're going to see here in the U.S. that um, it varies, to your point, by industry. There are some industries like the water industry, transportation, aviation that are adopting this quickly. I would tell you um, most clients, their assets are a cost center, not a profit center. So they are always trying to narrow those margins of cost. Uh, But when it does come to the profit center, our commercial real estate industry is also adopting asset management because it does allow them to change their profit uh, margins as well. So it does vary from that perspective of a geography and by market. Um, But, you know, I think there is still a dynamic that's changing in the market space where how you planned an asset, how you designed it, constructed, and then how you operate and maintain it all have been siloed organizations within a client's environment. And so we're starting to see those become more integrated or asset management being aligned more to a CFO of an organization because it is driving that financial change. And so asset management is starting to drive that planning, that design and construction, because the sooner you plan for asset management, the greater that return on investment and reduction of total cost of ownership. Yeah, and in addition to market, the the sophistication of the client comes into play as well. So the larger cities, larger private sector clients are more tend to be more advanced when it comes to asset management. They have more resources to to spend when you get to the medium sized to smaller communities, um, they they may or may not have um, they may or may not invest as much or think as much about it, which is uh, again where we can add a lot of value to be able to bring some of these advanced approaches to their communities that maybe haven't been able to invest in it previously. Uh, there's a phrase uh, in the business called resiliency in asset management. What is that? What's that mean? Well, ultimately, when I think about resiliency, it starts with how can anything weather some kind of significant incident? Um, And I don't mean to use weather as a pun because weather can be one of those incidents. But, um, you know, truly strong asset management or a well-implemented asset management program ultimately does relate to resiliency. Because if you have trained your people to respond to various levels of incidents, whether it be man-made or not, then uh, your program is going to be more resilient. Your assets are going to be so as well. And as if you have a better uh, inventory of what you have, what condition it's in, and how you're maintaining it, then you know what is going to be susceptible, or you're going to harden the defenses or create redundancy around those assets that are highly mission critical. So let's take that out of the abstract. Give me an example, please. Um, So since we're running with a building, let's say you've got a build, you've got three different buildings. You may have an office building, a warehouse, and a data center. 
I would say, depending on any client's organization, the data center is going to be more critical. Depending what's in that warehouse, maybe somewhere on the moderate scale. In the office building, you may have lots of redundant. You know, you may, office workers, nah, they're fine. Well, you can yeah, go rent fine. space yeah, somewhere yeah, yeah. else, or you can put trailers, or you can ask people to work from home. But that data center can't go down. So you're going to change your maintenance strategy around the data center. You're going to make sure it has more redundancy. Um, within the capacity of the building systems in its electrical systems, its HVAC systems, its backup power. Um, you're gonna have, make sure it has a higher level of security. And so in the case of an instance where it is man-made or, or not, that, that may be the first place that you wanna get back up and running. Got it. Steve, how about a, a like a wastewater treatment plant? How would they plan for resiliency? And Because that's a, a building goes down, data center goes down. You know, that's a serious thing for a business, but it's a serious thing for a community if a wastewater treatment plant goes offline. Yeah, one of the one of the biggest areas of concern for for me is when there's a major weather event coming. So take a major hurricane. We operate about 25 water and wastewater facilities in Florida. We offer we operate a hundred million gallon a day facility water treatment facility in Puerto Rico. So 2017. Um, when we had Irma and then Maria come through, uh, when everyone else is leaving Florida, we're sending resources in. And some of the things we're thinking about ahead of those events is our backup generators, our emergency response plans, our uh, spare parts, our connectivity to remote generators and support. And uh, we, we were on calls uh, 24 hours ahead of those with support resources off the projects too to make sure everything was in place. Um, in, in one particular case, we were on backup generation even before the storm came through because we knew we were going to lose power. Um, and so being able to think kind of holistically around how do we respond to um, th those uncontrollable circumstances with respect to our assets and how will they respond. So um, ext extremely important to being able to provide drinking water and being able to, to manage the wastewater during those kinds of events. So I, some people might not know that Jacobs runs and operates wastewater tre treatment facilities for our clients, correct? Yeah, so we operate over 250 water and wastewater treatment facilities within the company and, and uh, other related kind of asset management long-term uh, contracts. We uh, we have a number of highway O&M contracts that we perform. We do facility services. So how do you, uh, sorry, before you go on, how, how do you operate and manage a a highway or a road? So is that um, a toll road or a uh, toll road? So okay. the Florida Turnpike system would be one example. Um, we've got a couple traffic management systems that we operate to help uh, monitor the the traffic flow um, and the signage that would um, you know potentially cause people to take different routes. Um, also, the maintenance of of the roads themselves. Um, you know, other things we do in this area is facility services. So, for example, we operate all the building facilities at the Atlanta airport. Oh, very um, interesting. Yeah. Uh, which, again, get back to, you know, resiliency and just being able to, uh, again, uh, adapt when conditions arise. That we lose power in the airport. We have... Uh, um, uh, you know, some emergency of some kind and managing all the, the, you know, we talk about assets, but just managing all the people that are flowing through the airport and how do we move people around when something major happens or power's lost. And, um, you know, there's a lot of complexity to that as well. It sounds really interesting. Both of what you're doing sounds really fascinating for the clients and for the company. 
Um, how important is this to Jacobs, what you're doing? Yeah, I mean, I can talk from the, you know, long-term operations maintenance facility services perspective, uh, you know, critically important to Jacobs as a company in terms of the vision of, of what we want to be as an organization. We, we want to have um, kind of a, a, a stable, growing platform and having these sustaining services and being able to provide the full end-to-end -end solutions to customers, both the, the front end and the, the back end and everything in between is a real differentiator for us as a company. And we're smarter on the front end design and planning phase because we're doing the long-term operations and maintenance within the firm. Uh, and it's one of the things that our clients really appreciate is that we can bring that integrated service offering. And it's really been a differentiator for us. Uh, and, and we put it into practice. It's not just words. When, when we get into, say, a 20-year design, build, operate water wastewater treatment plant, we bring operators into the front-end design so that as we're making equipment selection um, and as we're thinking about the design of the facility so that it's actually operable, we can drive a lot of efficiency into the long-term, true full life cycle cost of ownership at the front end. And then also at the back end, as that's operating over time, we keep the engineering designers involved so that when issues arise, we're making better decisions on the repair versus replace versus is there a new technology out there that we should be considering versus just focused on the O&M itself. So great. Well, and I would add to that with our consulting services globally, it gives us a, an ability to meet our clients where they are and help them anywhere they are on this journey and help them define to success, success and, and achieve success. So it's exciting for us to see um, we can help Jacobs go into new markets, get into new clients with just some basic services before we do get to those long-term 20-year contracts because that's a marriage. Um, and so we give the uh, client the ability to date Jacobs along the way with some of our uh, consulting capabilities. Very nice. Now we're just about done with our time. Is there anything I didn't ask that you'd like to add that you think we should know about? Excellent. Um, <laughs> what, uh, how could people contact you or, or look up if they have more questions or want some more information? Uh, we've got a, uh, you know, there's lots of ways to reach out to us, but we've got a, a website, jacobs.com. Um, all our capabilities are on that site and you can, uh, and there's contact information there. Great. No, and I was about to say, and don't forget our other uh, social media forums with LinkedIn and Twitter to find us there. Great. Thank you so much. This was very interesting. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Inflection Points, a podcast series from Jacobs. To find out more, please visit jacobs.com. Jacobs, challenging today, reinventing tomorrow.